This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. In the last three chapters of the Tanya, is discussing the idea, the concept of Hashem's presence resting in the Holy of Holies. What does it mean God's presence is found in the Holies of Holies? God is found everywhere. There's no space empty of God. And he says the best way to understand it is from our own personal experience. Because the soul, we are a microcosm to the world. So if you understand from your own personal experience, you can understand God is the soul of the world. You can understand the idea of the Shekhinah, God's presence, is felt and manifest. He says, just like the soul. He says, the soul is made up of 248 different abilities. Just like you have 248 organs. Every organ in the body has a unique function. So he explains that we see, we can experience personally that it's not the soul is not just one like, like electricity there's just undifferentiated electricity and depending on the different machines that you plug in to the generator you get different results the, uh, the fax machine or the computer but the electricity running through is all the same there's no difference between here and there <laughs> it's entirely dependent on the receiver on the vessel how the electricity activates different, the same electricity activates different machines to do different things. But it's the same juice, it's the same energy, it's the same electricity. You may think that the soul works the same way. There's one source, the soul is an energy, and it's the same energy that flows in every organ in the body. But when the energy flows through the brain, it activates the brain to think, to comprehend. When the energy flows through the heart, it activates the heart to feel. When energy flows through the legs, it activates the ability to walk. When it, when it flows through the liver, it activates the function of the liver to clean the blood, etc. But he says it's not so. And we feel it internally that it's not so. The soul itself has the ability has a unique ability to think, to comprehend. The soul has the ability to feel. Because it's not just the body. The body itself is a corpse. The corpse doesn't feel and doesn't think and doesn't comprehend. It's the soul's ability. And the proof is because when the body is in pain, the pain of each organ feels differently. Who feels the pain? The brain. All the uh, nerve, the nerve center is the brain. The brain is the command and control center, nerve center of the body. So if the energy in the brain is the same energy that courses throughout the whole body, 
So therefore, why does the pain of the, of the pinky feel different than the pain of the leg or the pain of the heart or the pain in the morning? You have a headache or if you have a heartache or whatever it is. Every organ, the pain feels differently. Why should it feel differently? The pain you feel in the mind. That's why you have the drugs, the painkillers. What they do is they sever the link to the mind. So you're in pain, but you don't feel it. There are those uh, um, patients who, as a result of an accident, they sever the connection to the brain and they don't feel any pain. Not because they're not in pain, they just don't feel it. Because the, the signal, they cut off the signal to the brain. So it's the brain that feels the pain. When your toenail hurts, you feel it, your brain feels all the nerve endings and the brain, the brain feels that pain. So why does the pain of the toenail feel different than, the, than, the, than God forbid, a person's having a heart attack or a person has a headache or a migraine headache or any, every organ, the eye, eye hurts, the tooth hurts, every, or, every pain is different. Why? If it's the same energy, if the analogy is like the energy, the currency, the electricity, or the analogy of the water, you pour the water in different colored glasses, or so you end up with a, with a, or light that shines through different colored glasses. You end up with yellow light and red light. The light is the same. You just see it through different prisms. Although the soul has the ability to comprehend, but you need a vessel to activate that ability. So the brain, which is the finest, is like the tip of the match. It has the, that fine material. It evokes. It's a vessel and a vehicle, and it activates the soul's ability to comprehend. So when the soul, when the soul is in the body, and then the soul is comes in contact with, from the general soul, the soul flows through every individual organ. So the individual organ activates that specific ability within the soul to think because the brain is the finest. So therefore it also activates and evokes the, the, the finest abilities of the soul, which is to comprehend. The heart activates the ability to feel. The liver to, to clarify the whole system, the blood system, etc. Every, every, every part of the body, every organ activates a different ability within the soul. The moment the soul comes in contact with the body, the entire body comes alive. That's just the miracle of life. That when God miraculously connects the soul to the body, even though the soul is pure spirit, pure energy, and the body is, is material, a corpse, and yet when God connects the body and the soul, every cell in the body comes alive. The body is not a machine. It's not like uh, a machine, it's just mechanical. You know, the electricity activates the machine, but the electricity in the machine, it's not like a body and a soul. When you cut the machine, there's no soul that feels pain. It's, it's just external. The electricity, the current, causes, activates a mechanical event. But the body and the soul is different. The body comes alive. When you cut your finger, you're in pain. It's not like clothes. You know, you wear clothes, but clothes are external to you. You can remove the clothes. You can, if your clothes tear, you don't feel pain. It's not part of you. Your body is part of the soul. It's inseparable from the soul. When the soul makes contact with the body, every cell in the body comes alive. And it doesn't matter from the toenail 
to every part of the, of the person is alive. The brain, the heart, is equally alive. But then, there's also the specific life. Every organ has a, has a unique expression of life. The brain expresses life through the ability to understand things, to comprehend things, to figure things out. The heart comes alive with the ability to feel, to relate, to connect. The legs come alive with the ability to walk. Every organ has a unique, a unique ability. Or to, to use the, the other analogy that he uses, a more simple analogy, you take light, and depending on different prisms, different colors, you can use a, a red color glass. So you, what do you see? You see red light, depending on the different colors of the glass. But the light is the same. The light is not red, the light is not yellow, the light is not, it's not purple. The light beneath the glass, behind the glass, is the same. It, it's entirely the vessel that differentiates, that makes all these distinctions. So you would think that all the distinctions, all the individual abilities that we have, come entirely as a result of the, ve- of the vessel of the vehicle, of the brain and the heart, not the soul. So he says, no, it's not true. The soul itself has different abilities. The soul has the ability to think, and the soul has the ability to feel, and to speak. And every organ, 248 limbs, you have 248 abilities. What's the proof? So the proof is, because how we feel pain in the body. A headache is not like a toothache. A heartache is not like another pain. Every organ has its unique pain. Now, which part of the body feels pain? The head. The head. The brain. <coughs> All the nerve centers come to the brain. When you sever the connection to the brain, you don't feel pain. That's the whole, that's the whole premise of, uh, of uh, painkillers. They cut off the connection, the signals to the brain. So you don't feel the pain. You're in pain, but you don't feel it. It's not always a blessing. Sometimes when you feel the pain, it's a, you know, it's a signal and you know that you have to heal. A person who doesn't feel pain, there's an, Ill, there's an, there's an illness. They can cut themselves and they don't feel pain. And they die, they, ble- they bleed to death. Because they don't, even, they don't even know that they're dying. So, the fact that the brain senses pain differently, every organ you feel the pain differently. If the soul was an undifferentiated energy, just like in the analogy of the electricity or the light, then... And, and the difference between one organ and the other begins in the organ. So once the pain leaves the organ and travels, the signal travels to the brain, the brain should feel the pain. It should all be the same. Whether it's a toothache or a headache or a heartache, it should be all the same. But the fact that every organ, the pain feels differently, tells you that the soul has the ability, has 248 The soul itself is one entity. The soul is one. The soul is not a component of 248 parts. It's not a, it's not a building block. It's not a Lego of 248 parts. The soul is one. We don't feel like a bag of bones and, and blood and, and, and parts and components. You're not a machine. You feel the eye. Who is the eye? The eye is one, un- indivisible self. So how can one soul contain all these different abilities? Even opposing abilities, opposite abilities. The soul is one. 
But the soul has all these abilities contained within it. In this one indivisible self, the soul has, has, the, has all these abilities. In order to activate these abilities, it's only when the soul makes contact with the body and with the individual organs in the body, so the brain activates the, the soul's ability to think and to comprehend. The heart activates the soul's ability to feel. But it's the soul's ability to feel. And it's the soul's ability to comprehend. And therefore, when your brain hurts, when you have a headache, it has a unique flavor. That pain has a unique feeling. And the pain of the brain is not the same as the pain of the heart. Every organ has its unique soul ability. But it's activated through that particular organ. And therefore, an organ that's very refined, the brain, which is the most refined part of the body, is able to draw down the most refined part of the soul. The highest ability of the soul, the greatest ability of the soul, which is the ability to think and to comprehend and to figure things out. The heart draws out from within the soul the ability to feel. So the substance of the individual organ, the eye, is perfectly matched to the soul's ability to see. And that's why the eye draws down the ability to see. So each organ is perfectly matched up to the soul's ability. In a way, the body is almost perfectly matched, like parallel to the soul. Every organ in the body perfectly matches the soul's ability. It's almost like a materialization of the soul. And therefore, it's able to draw it down. It's able to evoke this ability from within the soul. So when God connects the body and soul, so in addition to each cell in the body coming alive and being equally alive, whether it's a brain or a heart, or every part of the body is equally alive. In addition, every organ in the body draws out an individual ability from within the soul. And therefore, we have all these different abilities within us. But all of these abilities originate within the soul. And the way we experience the soul, the soul is one entity. The soul is not... Uh, a bag filled with a grocery list of 248 items. The soul is one spiritual entity. And this entity contains all these different abilities. A, the ability to give life to the whole entire body at once, simultaneously. And B, it also gives the ability to each individual organ to think and to feel, etc. He's explaining the idea of life. When we talk about life, life is not something that's mechanical. All the scientists in the world can create the life of a fly. All science can do is they can create a mechanical machine. But life, you, can, you can't build components. At the end, the end result will not be life. Anything that's alive, it starts with life. And life expresses itself in all the different details. You know, to use an analogy. Take a, um, a painting. A painting by a master. Then put it side by side to an exact copy. Painted by an amateur. 
who took a paper over the original painting and copied every single thing, perfectly copied. Put these two paintings side by side. Even an amateur will be able to point out this is the master and this is the copy. How? It doesn't have the life. Ah, exactly. One word. It doesn't have the life. What's art? Art is not the lines and the shades and the colors. I mean, yes, they're mechanics. That's the mechanics of the art. And there are thousands of details that go into the, to this mechanic. But that's not, that's not what art is. The master artist has a burning vision in his soul. And he has the capacity, the gift, the talent to express this vivid imagery that he eats and sleeps with and, and that's burning in his soul, searing into his soul. He's able to put it down on canvas. paper, And he's able to express this vivid imagery. Now, of course, this vivid imagery ex- expresses itself in thousands of lines and colors and shades. But that's the mechanics. The, the point is, it's alive. That life cannot be copied. The amateur can copy all the mechanics, down to the, to the slightest detail. Every line is perfect, and every color, and every shade, you know, it's lifeless. All the mechanics in the world, with machines, you don't end up with life. The body is not a machine. Life is not a machine. Anything that's truly alive, life is something from within. Life is something indivisible, something spiritual. But it expresses itself in so many, so many, different, so many different aspects and details, but they're an expression of one indivisible self. The body is an expression of the soul. Take, for example, a tree that's alive. It's alive. And this life expresses itself in roots, in the bark, in the stem, in in the branch, in the flowers, in the fruits. But it's one indivisible self that expresses itself in all these details. Does angels have souls? Angels have souls, sure. Angels have bodies also. They do have bodies. The bodies of an angel. It's, it's It's a different body. It's pure energy. But it's a different body. But they also have bodies, sure. But so, so too with a human being. We talk about life. Life is one point. There's one indivisible self, a whole self. That's how we feel ourselves. That's how we experience ourselves from the inside out. You experience yourself, the I. Who is that I? It's not a detail. It's not an aspect. It's like the famous story with the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel, who was raised by his grandfather, the author of the Tanya. His mother died young, and his mother on the deathbed asked her father, she substituted her life for her father. It's a long story. And she had one request, please raise my son. And uh, the Alter Rebbe took him into his study, and, and he would play around in his study, and he personally raised him, and he later on turned out to be the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel, the namesake of our Rebbe, the seventh Rebbe. So when he was a little boy, and he was playing in his grandfather's study, he was busy learning, and he was, he was sitting on his lap, his grandfather's lap, and Alter Rebbe turns to little Menachem Mendel, he says, where is Zaydi? So he grabbed, grabbed hold of his beard. He says, no, that's not Zaydi, that's Zaydi's beard. But where is Zaydi? He pointed to his eyes. He says, no, that's Zaydi's eyes, where is Zaydi? His nose, his ears, no, that's not Zaydi, where is Zaydi? And finally he jumps off, and being a very smart boy, he calls out, Zaydi. And Al-Tarebi turns around and says, yes. He says, ah, <laughs> there was Zaydi. 
Who responded? The eyes, the whole, the nose, the ears, the beard. You. Who is you? When you think of yourself, who is yourself? When you wake up in the morning, you're aware of self. What are you aware of? Who is that self? You don't have to touch yourself to know that you're, you're awake. You don't have to see yourself in the mirror to know that you're there. You don't have to hear yourself sing in the shower to know that you're awake. You're alive. You're awake. You're alive. Who is that I? It's undifferentiated. There's no... Everything else is just a detail. The ability to think and the ability to feel. And all of these things are just the thousands of details that, that, are, that express this single life force, which is I. That intangible self. That's how we feel ourselves from within. That's how we experience ourselves. It's not a mechanical building block of different parts that we chop up and we put together and we glue together. We're not glued together. We're not chopped up and we're not parts. We're one whole self that's alive. It's an entity of life. And you have, it has different expressions. Because you have the individual abilities within the body. And that may diminish with time. And as we grow older, the mind becomes a little foggier. The brains become a little worn out. The brain cells, especially if you, you don't use it as much. <laughs> the life force also, the body grows weaker with time. But there's one thing that never changes. It's a constant. From the moment you're born until, until you die. That every cell of your body is alive. That doesn't change. The fact that you're alive. The fact that you have a soul. I mean, we're, we're walking miracles. Life is a miracle. You know, we just take it for granted. We don't think twice about it. But life makes no sense. It's not scientific. It's not rational. It's not mechanical. It's a pure miracle. Where does life come from? From within. You know, when the soul leaves, all the machines in the world can't keep you alive. You know, when the soul leaves, it's all over. And the moment your soul makes contact with your body, you're alive for the next 120 years. Every cell of your body is alive. I mean, and, it, and that's a constant. It never changes. So that... That represents that indivisible self, that, that entity, that self, that soul. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of life. It's, it's an essence, an essence of being, an essence of life, that miraculously, when it makes contact with the body, the body comes alive. How does the body come alive? So first, the soul resides in the brain, because the brain senses the whole. The brain senses that that sense of self, that indivisible self, that the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. That essence of life resides in the brain. You're alive. And you're one entity that expresses itself in many different ways. Now, from the brain, the brain, first you have a general sense of life that comes from the brain, that you're aware that you're alive, you're aware of yourself. You're aware of your entire self. From, from your toenail all the way to, to, to the tip of your head, you feel that general sense of life, that I'm alive. That's a general sense of life. And in addition, afterwards, the brain also gives each individual life to each individual organ. Because from this general life force, each organ draws out and activates that specific soul ability to think and to figure things out in, in the brain and in the heart, to feel... So each individual life force has its source in the brain. And that's why the brain is the command and control center, the nerve center of the entire organism. Not only of the general organism, 
But from this general sense of life also comes each individual. That's why the brain is the leader of the whole body, of every organ, including the heart. Mind over matter. It's the brain that's in control. Because everything comes from the brain. As vital as the heart is, the brain is even more central. Because the brain is where the soul resides, where this life force resides. And everything, even the ability of the heart, also comes from the brain. Is activated through the heart, is activated, but it activates the soul center that's within the brain. And that's why the brain feels everything. Every organ, every individual organ in the body. And that's why the brain coordinates the whole body. Because how is it possible that the body should be no politics? The human organism is so complex, yet there's no politics. The right and the left get along. It's the only place in the world. <laughs> the right and the left work in perfect harmony. <laughs> Every organ. How is this possible? It's only thanks to the brain. Because, yes, every organ is so unique, is so different. There's so much room for politics. Everyone is so different and even opposite. The brain and the heart are opposite. The brain is calm cool and collected, the heart is on fire. It's, it's opposite tendencies, opposite nature. Yet how do you have the, this, this harmony? Because the brain senses the whole. The brain instills in every organ in the body, you're not just the liver, you're not just the heart, an isolated limb. As unique and as precious as you are, you're not just an isolated limb. Everyone, every organ is part of something larger. We're all part of something larger than all of us put together. Even the brain is part of something larger than all of us put together. We're part of this one soul. So we're all one. We're inseparable. It's the same soul expressing itself in the brain, in the heart, in the liver, in every organ in the body. And therefore, it coordinates all the organs. All the organs are interrelated and interconnected and you strengthen one organ, it strengthens the other organ. And sometimes you heal the, you heal the brain through, through, through your foot, a procedure in the foot, and it's all connected. Your toenail hurts, your brain can't think. Because we're all one, we're all the same, we're all interrelated, interlinked, interconnected. And from my flesh I know God. By understanding how it works with the in relationship of the soul and the body, and this will understand God's relationship to the world. And with this will explain how, what we mean when we say the Shekhinah, that God's presence rests and is revealed and is manifest in the Holy of Holies. The life force is a chunk of life, a piece of life. When the life force makes contact with the body, the body comes alive. It doesn't matter to the life force. If it's a big body, a small body, if it's a if it's the brain or it's, the, or it's the toenail, it's all the same. Because it's not about, the life force is not affected by the dynamics of the receiver. It, it, it's, it's an essence of life. Anything that touches this essence of life comes alive with one provision. You have to be a vessel. Obviously, if a soul comes in contact with a stone, the stone is not going to come to life. If the soul of a person comes in contact with an animal, the animal won't, won't come to life. It's the soul of a person, a soul of a human a body of a person, which is ready-made to receive this life. So when the life force touches this body, the body like, automatically comes alive.
doesn't have to engage, doesn't have to... It's just a, a piece of life, and it's not affected by anything external. And that's why it's able to give life. You know, a person who is a very internal person, person who is in touch with his essence, who's not affected by external circumstances, is usually the one who has the greatest influence. A person who's defined and shaped by his environment can't change that environment because he's trapped by that environment. He's too much affected by that environment. But, but someone who's like a light, like a, a brilliant light, who's so beyond and is not affected, he is able to change that environment. So, so to the soul is so dynamic. The soul is so alive. And it doesn't matter to the soul whether there is a body, there isn't a body. The soul is alive before you're born. And the soul continues to, continues to live even after you die. The same soul. The soul is a piece of life. Whether there is a body, there isn't a body, it doesn't change the soul. The soul is, is, is so dynamic and is so alive that it's just an essence of life. It's a piece of life. It's a chunk of life. And because it doesn't affect the soul, whether there is a body, there isn't a body, that's why the soul is able to have such a dramatic impact on the body. Precisely because it's not affected by the body. So therefore, the moment it comes in contact with the body, the body becomes transformed. Every cell of the body comes alive, equally so. Ways. One is that the life force emanating from the soul to the organ is utterly plain and uncompounded, possessing none of the diverse qualities and the powers of various According to this explanation, the various functional powers of the organs would be differentiated with respect to the life force emanating to them from the soul only after that life force actually becomes enclosed within the organs. For example, only after the life force becomes enclosed within the eye would it become the power of sight, and only after it becomes enclosed within the ear would it become the power of hearing. An analogy to this explanation would be water in a colored glass. Although it remains colorless, yet since it is seen through the walls of a white or red vessel, for example, it seems white or red to the viewer. Likewise, each organ receives a plain, uncompounded life force from the soul and it is the organ that gives the life force enclosed within it its specific functional ability. The eye enables the life force to give the power to see, and the ear enables it to give the power to hear. The second possible explanation, and that accepted by Tanya, is that the soul, despite its pristine, uncompounded essence, includes in potential form all the powers of the various organs, and it is these faculties which each individual organ receives. The eye receives from the life force of the soul the power to see. The ear receives from it the power to hear. These powers were originally included in potential within the soul, and each becomes revealed as the life force becomes enclosed within the respective organ. Thus, the power to see or hear does not originate only when the life force becomes enclosed within the eye or ear. It already exists in potential within the comprehensive life force emanating from the soul, although it is not yet revealed. Tanya proceeds to explain that this is the correct explanation. The commentary of Rabbi Shlita explains why we must accept the second explanation. If we were to say that the various functional powers are not differentiated in potential within the life force until after it becomes enclosed within the organs, like water or light, which does not itself possess a color, but acquires it when viewed through colored glass, 
then the brain would be conscious of the same sensation from what it is experienced in the eye as from what is experienced in the ear, because these sensations have already left their respective organs. Thus, too, water removed from a white vessel is no different from water removed from a red vessel. Once removed from the vessel, it loses the vessel's color. Likewise, messages conveying sensations from the eye would be no different from those coming from the ear, since they have already left their respective organs. Okay, very good. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll stop here. Um, the rest he makes, he just elaborates on this point. This is the correct way of understanding that the vessels receive the ability of the soul, the unique ability of the soul. Now, now he's going to explain that it doesn't mean that the soul is made up of 248 components. The soul is, is one entity. It's a spiritual entity. How can you have 248 different parts all included in one entity? In one place. So obviously the soul is a pure spiritual entity that's undifferentiated. It just has the potential for all these abilities. It's not actual, it just has, it just has the potential. And it's when the soul makes contact with the body that this potential becomes activated. Okay, that's what he's going to explain. Uh, page 770. Now the variation in receiving the functional powers and life force by the organs of the body from the soul. Each organ receiving the soul a life force and power in a different form does not derive from the soul's essence and being. That we should say that its being and essence is divided into 248 different parts, which are enclosed in 248 locations, according to the design of the various locations of the body's organs. If this yeah. is the case, we would say that within the soul itself there are already revealed and differentiated the various functional powers of sight, hearing, and so on, and that these 248 powers which exist within the soul, are enclosed within the body's 248 organs, each in its appropriate location. We cannot, however, accept this approach. Because, according to this, it would follow that the soul's essence and being is designed in a physical design, and a likeness and structure similar to the structure of the body, God forbid. Just as organs of the body have various shapes and forms, so according to this outlook of the functional powers, while still within the soul, different from each other in forms, but again, we cannot accept this. How can one, one soul contain so many different parts, and even, even opposite parts and abilities? So he says, rather... Rather is the soul entirely a single spiritual entity. It is a single entity, a spiritual entity. As a single entity, its oneness and plane and uncompounded as a spiritual entity, its spirituality is in a form in which is divested of any physical design and of any type of definition of physical space, measure, or limitations. The soul is free of all such dimensions by virtue of its intrinsic being and essence. In fact, the soul is so plain and free of all of these that even when it is actually enclosed within the organs, they cannot affect any change in the soul. Therefore, they alter where they continue. You can't have two things that are physical in the same space. They clash. Anything physical takes up room, and even two winds. Two winds clash, you have a storm. The closest we get to something 
physical, that's spiritual, like you said earlier, the match, a fire, a flame. That's why we always light a candle for neshama. The closest we have to something spiritual is a fire, a flame. Because the flame is the only thing where you can light a thousand candles from one candle. Not only it doesn't take away from the candle, on the contrary, it only strengthens the flame. Because the flame is like egoless. It's, it's the most spiritual. Everything else tries to preserve its being, its existence. A flame is trying to extinguish itself. It's, it's jumping up. You have to force it down. It's leaping up. A flame, is, a flame is pure spirit. It's not looking to take up space. It's not looking to continue its existence. It's trying to be absorbed in its source. So because its ego is a flame, you can have a thousand flames from one, from one flame, and it doesn't take anything away from the original flame. What? It doesn't take space. It doesn't take up space. It doesn't take up space. So anything spiritual, like real love, real love is really spiritual. That's why real love could only be when it's two souls connecting. Because if it's just about, you know, materialistic indulgence, skin deep, you know, ultimately you can't have two bodies in the same in the same space. So they end up either consuming each other or, you know, rejecting each other, consuming each other. But real love is when there's a soul connection. When the ego boundaries melt away and there's, there's, a, there's an inner connection, a spiritual connection, a soul connection. There's a selflessness, there's an egolessness. If it's just about ego, what, what can you do for me today? And I love what you do for me and I love being in love with you. So it's all about the I, you know, it has nothing to do with the other person. It's just an expression of ego and it's all about an expression of ego. Ultimately, you can't have two bodies in the same space. But a love that lasts, a love that's, that's egoless, a love that's based on, on the soul connection, that's where these boundaries fall apart, and that's the only way how two people can really love each other. How can two individuals, two egos, love each other? One space clashes with the other space. But if it's soul, if it's egoless, it's like the flame, then there is no space. It doesn't occupy space. So too, the more spiritual we get, uh, the more you're able to be in the same space. So when the soul is differentiated in the body, each organ is differentiated. Each ability of the soul is differentiated. There's the ability to comprehend, there's the ability to see, and the ability to hear, and the ability to speak. Every ability has its own unique space and place and vessel and vehicle and it's differentiated. But when you go deeper into the soul, when you get to the root of the soul, the essence of the soul, the essence of the soul, it's, it, they can all be in the same place. It's because it, it's, it's, it's in its purest form, pure potential. The, the soul has the potential, and in the soul it's all one. It's one entity, the same soul that expresses itself through seeing and hearing and comprehending and feeling and thinking. It's all the same. And therefore it can all be part of one, one entity. And it's not made up of components. There's only one single entity. And because it's spiritual, because it's not space, Therefore, it could all be in the same place. But the, the, the more physical you get, the more differentiated you get. That's why you find, even within the human organism itself, the greater the vessel, the greater the vehicle, the lesser the, the, the ability, the spiritual ability. Take the leg. The leg is twice the size, three times the size, four times the size of the, of the head. If the leg is only one ability to walk. The head has all the abilities. 
to think and to see and the, all the finer abilities, all this little package. This little head, good things come in small packages, this little head contains all these abilities. The vessel is very small because there's so much light, there's so much spiritual ability that they're all able to be together. But the more, the lower you get, the more prominent the vessel, the more differentiated it becomes. So when you get to the source, the root of the soul, the source of the soul, it's, it's one entity and it's so spiritual that all these abilities all, all are together. They're all one. There is no differentiation. There's only one soul. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. All the parts are just an expression of that single, single soul. And it is not that of the head more than in the feet since its being and essence is not subject to the concept and dimension of physical space and limitation. It is therefore impossible to attribute to the soul this limitation of being more in the head than in the feet. That's why the fact that you're alive, there is no difference between the, uh, the lowest part of the body, the soles or the feet. Every cell of your body is alive, equally alive. The soul is found in every part of you. Equally so. The soul itself is no more in the head than it is in every other part of the body. The soul, the essence of the soul, the essence of the soul is alive, is a chunk of life, a piece of life. Every part of the body is equally alive. The brain cells are no more alive than, than the cells in the soles of your feet. Every part of you is equally alive because the soul is undifferentiated. So you can't say that the soul is only one part of the body. The essence of the soul is, is undifferentiated and therefore... Therefore, it animates the whole body together, the whole organism simultaneously. And that comes from the, the soul, the essence of the soul being, being a life, being alive and being a, an essence of life, and therefore it gives life equally to every part of the body. And then, from this general sense of life comes the, the details. Then out of this flows the details, the specifics then all the individual potential become activated. So in other words, really you have like three levels. You have the essence of life. The soul is alive. The soul is alive before the body is before the body. The soul continues to be alive after the body. The soul is just an essence of life. Out of that flows this general life force. And, and where does that reside? Also in the brain. You're alive. You feel that you're alive. There's absolutely no differentiation. Out of that comes a general life force where every cell of your body comes alive. And then out of that flows a specific life force where every vessel receives and activates the potential, all the different potentials within the soul, all the different aspects within the soul come alive in, the, in, in its own unique way. So the brain comes alive, not only that every cell in the brain is alive, but the brain comes alive, the brain is able to figure things out, to comprehend. The heart comes alive, not only that it's physically alive, but that it's able to feel, and to emote, and to relate, and to connect, and so too with every organ in the body. But it all originates from that essence of life. And where does that essence of life reside? Who senses that essence of life? In the brain. And out of that comes a general life. 
with, which doesn't make any differentiation between one part of the body and the, and the next. That, that's the paragraph you just read. And then comes this next level. Rather, 613 kinds of functional powers and vital forces are included within the soul within its being and essence, to become actualized and to emerge from this concealment and inclusion within the soul's essence. Previously, while still included within the soul's essence, they are only in potentia and therefore hidden within the soul, not even as functional powers which are revealed as such, while still included within the soul. To become actualized and to emerge from concealment, and become Why do we have 248 limbs in the body and 365 veins? Because we have 248 active mitzvot, positive mitzvot, and we have 365 prohibitions, which correspond to the veins in the body, which protect the blood, the life force, and it shouldn't leak out. You know, otherwise it's like it's like you have a leak in your pipe, and all the all the water is, it leaks out. So to your life force, God forbid, there's a puncture. There's a puncture in the, in, the, in the veins. You know, sometimes you can bleed internally, God forbid, and you don't even know it, and you can bleed to death. The prohibitions protect us, that we shouldn't, God forbid, abuse our, our life force, because it's like a leak. This energy has to be channeled. That's the right word. It has to be channeled. If the, if, the ve- if the veins work properly, then you're alive and healthy. If you don't work properly, you become You take this energy, and it leaks. It, it wreaks havoc. God gave a person all this passion, all this energy. If we don't follow the 365 prohibitions, we're not careful, we don't, have the, we don't uh, live by these boundaries that protect us and channel this energy, this life force that God gave us, then God forbid we can destroy, we can wreak havoc. You take all this energy and you do things that you're not supposed to do, it wreaks destruction, tremendous havoc. So that's the analogy why the 365 don'ts are compared to the 365 veins. The positive mitzvot are there to draw to draw light. Now, which is really, which comes from a deeper source? The prohibitions come from a deeper source than the positive. Because it takes a lot, a lot more out of you. You know what character is? You want to know what a person is really all about? It's not by how they express themselves, or what they will do. It's what they won't do. The red lines they won't cross. Mm-hmm. That's how you can tell what a person is really all about. If they're superficial, or they have depth. They have character. There's boundaries. There's red lines I don't cross. It's what they don't do. It's like the game that has rules, and the stricter the rules, that's what makes it interesting. It's, it's the boundaries. It's not, we don't look at the, the, the prohibitions as negatives. You know, God restricted us. He created the world, and most of it is off limits to us. It's not fair. I mean, why did he create it? No, on the contrary. This is what gives us depth. This is what gives us definition. This is what gives us character. This is... So yes, externally, there's nothing going on. When you do a mitzvah, this activity, the prohibitions are done. Then don't do it. You don't see anything going on. But internally, there's a lot more going on. It's much deeper. It's like the old, uh, the old joke, the old story. The cub reporter. This was his first major assignment. The mayor's son was marrying the richest person, the richest person in town, his daughter. And because of an emergency, the editor of the paper was called away the day before the wedding. So he calls in his cup reporter. He says, I come back tomorrow morning. Please make sure to have this story. The whole town has been talking about this for the last six months. The most exciting thing that ever happened in the last 10 years. I want to see a real copy. And, you know, anyway, he comes early the next morning. There's nothing there. 
you're looking for the front page story, headlines, screaming headlines, nothing. And he calls him in and says, I don't understand. What happened? There was a wedding last night. We've been talking about this wedding for six months. He says, you don't understand. Nothing happened. He says, what do you mean nothing happened? How is it possible? He says, I'm telling you, nothing happened. He says, the groom skipped town. <laughs> That's the greatest story. Nothing happened. That's the most dramatic story. That's a screaming headline. So yes, externally you don't see anything happening. 365 don'ts. But I don't see any blood. The veins are doing their job. The blood is flowing inside the veins. You don't see any leakage. You don't see any blood. That's the greatest story. That's the most dramatic to have that internal discipline, to have that internal, to be able to say no. Because the mitzvah, when do you fulfill the mitzvah? A thief that doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks that he's honest. That's, that's not fulfilling the mitzvah of not stealing. Mitzvah, fulfilling the mitzvah means I have the opportunity. And I'm tempted to. And I don't. Because Hashem says, don't steal. That's when you fulfill the mitzvah. First, first level of a Rebbe, he once came back to town, he, was, he felt shattered, he was all broken up. He says, I witnessed something. He says, something unbelievable. Because I was traveling in Eastern Europe in the, in the forest. And I saw a son standing with an axe over his father. He says, Daddy, I want to kill you. He's holding the axe. He's, he's red. He's livid. Daddy, I really want to kill you. But I'm not. And the only reason I'm not going to kill you is I'm afraid of God. <laughs> he, he was ready. He was holding the axe. It was, it was hanging over his father's head. God says, no. That's how you fulfill the mitzvah, the prohibition. You refrain from doing something wrong because Hashem said, don't do it. Don't they say that's true children? That's right. When you have the, the opportunity. Right. That's true children. Right. So the person sins when he's young. And then when he's already 99 and he can't walk and he can't talk and he can't eat. <laughs> and, then, and then he does truva. Truva is always good, but it's not the same. It's not the same. It's when you're youthful and you're passionate and you're in the same position and you're in the same temptation. And yet you're able to refrain. That's the highest level of truva. That's the ultimate level of teshuva. Um, so the idea of... Right, so that's the 613. So the reason why we have 248 limbs and 365 veins is because there are 613 mitzvah. Because the whole world was created through the Torah, because of the Torah. It's not that we have 248 limbs, so therefore we have 248 mitzvah. It's the exact opposite. Because we have 248 mitzvah, that's why God gave us 248 limbs in order to fulfill and implement those mitzvah. And because we have 365 prohibitions, that's why we have 365 veins in the body. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.